Hello, I'm Colleen Presnell. And hi, I'm Jenny Joseph. Welcome to episode four of our Gift of Friendship podcast. What have you got in store for us today, Col? Well, Jenny, as you know, in previous podcasts, we've spoken with survivors of various blood cancers and those who went on to have bone marrow transplants. But in this podcast, we're inviting people who have survived breast cancer to tell their stories. We'll also talk to Dr. Rachel Deer, a leading oncologist at St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. She will answer some of the questions that you'd like to ask. Paul, why don't we start with your story about breast cancer? Okay, Jen. I was diagnosed in 2012 and I had two breast cancers in the right breast. I didn't want to have any more chemo or radiation, but wanted to reduce the chance of it coming back in the other breast. So I told my breast surgeon I wanted bilateral mastectomy, which I had and a rebuild at the same time. My advice for anyone newly diagnosed, think about it, talk to your breast surgeons and get their suggestions and others who have gone through the journey. Jen, well that's my story in a nutshell. But I'm pleased to share seven other interviews from people who have survived breast cancer. We've got six ladies and one young man who've all agreed to share their stories with us. Hello, my name is Helen. In 2008, as I'd moved house, I changed to a new GP. He suggested that he had no previous health records that I have a mammogram, although it had one 12 months previously. He looked at the films and said that the conclusion in the report showed that there was no lesion. However, he didn't agree as he could see a shadow. And he said this could not be explained. So he sent me to see Dr. Cray at St. Vincent's Hospital, who did further tests and a biopsy, which indicated that in fact there was a tumour there. Within days, I had an operation for removal of the tumour followed by radiotherapy and chemo. The treatment and support at St Vincent's was amazing. I continued to have scans every six months, but now every 12 months. My advice to any lady newly diagnosed would be to trust in the advice and recommendations given by your surgeon. You won't get any better treatment anywhere in the world. You have to take it day by day. Had my GP not been so persistent, my outcome could have been quite different. My previous GP had not shown me the scans, but relied on the conclusion. My question to Dr. Deer is, should GPs rely on the conclusion in the written report, or should they examine the films and come to their own conclusion? My name is Elise and I was diagnosed with breast cancer in July 2019. I found the lump the day before my 33rd birthday. Um, I feel like I was was pretty on top of the world at the time. I was doing really well at work. Uh, I'd actually just run a marathon and was was feeling pretty healthy and amazing, Um, but just super tired. So I'd been out to dinner with a friend Uh, And she mentioned she was getting a lump in her breast checked out. So that made me go home um, and check mine, which uh, I didn't normally have lumps. So when I found that, I I booked straight in with my GP to get it checked. Uh, And then it was a pretty crazy three weeks. Uh, I I went and met 
my oncologist the next day. I froze my eggs. Um, and I, you know, I within two weeks booked my my head head to be shaved because I knew that the chemo was going to make me lose my hair within two weeks of starting. So it was a pretty pretty crazy four weeks um, and pretty unexpected. Uh, but then, to be honest, it's it's been many unexpected and crazy things that have happened since then in the in the twenty months since I was diagnosed. So I guess that was the start of the journey, but it it does continue. My advice to anyone newly diagnosed with breast cancer would be cancer is a nightmare, but when you break it down day by day, it's more manageable. Please make changes early. For those that are young like me, you're young, you want to live and you want to live well. Don't think this is a mess that you can't control because you can. You can make small changes from day one. You can make nutritious choices. You can reduce your alcohol, do exercise, meditate, smile, be positive. And most importantly, believe you're going to heal. Our bodies are magic. And when we treat them with care and respect they deserve, they do miraculous things. Uh, my question for Dr. Deer is, what is the one thing you wish every patient would change long-term? Hi, my name is Liz. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015. And this is a brief synopsis of my journey. A sharp stabbing pain in my left breast in October 2015 took me to my GP and a mammogram confirmed on the spot I had breast cancer. I endured 13 biopsies there and then. The results confirmed stage one to two breast cancer in my left breast. There were two tumors, it had spread to the first two lymph nodes. I then started six rounds of chemotherapy starting in November 2015 finishing March 2016. Somehow I managed to endure the cold cap. Round four of chemo for me was by far the worst. They changed my drug and it hit me like a sledgehammer. I got oral thrush and I suffered from blistered feet. In May 2016, I started daily radiotherapy for six weeks. I was lucky to feel no fatigue at all. In fact, the only side effect was open weeping skin under my arm at the very end of the treatment. My neoadjuvant treatment though, had the added benefit of giving me plenty of time to think through my surgery options. I decided on a full tramflap reconstruction in July, 2016 with both, both breasts, despite cancer on the left side only. Surgery is not for the faint hearted, but I was young and healthy. I felt well able to pull through. After a couple of hiccups, I recovered fully from the surgery with the help of one-on-one -on -one Pilates. I was unlucky to deliver, uh, develop lymphedema in 2019, so I must wear a surgical sleeve daily now. Uh, but a naturopath helped me with my diet, supplements for my recovering organs and body. I've been on tamoxifen for the last five years, probably will be for life, but that's okay. Throughout it all, I've always felt very positive. The treatment program really helps you maintain focus because there's a target, there's a goal and an action plan and all these clever people looking after you. Plus, I had an incredible support network. My husband, my two daughters, my friends all around the world and my two sisters who both flew over twice from the UK to lend support to my family. So my general advice to anyone newly diagnosed would be, please just take deep breaths and remember that breast cancer is very, very common, one in seven women. It's the best funded cancer with heaps of treatment options in the kit bag. 
once you have a treatment plan, you've got something to focus on. And please try not to over Google. But my question for Dr. Deer would be, my treatment plan in 2015 was neoadjuvant and then surgery. I was one of the first people in the country to have this path. Are there any more statistics on the relative success or otherwise of neo neoadjuvant versus post-surgical adjuvant treatment? Hello, my name is Robin and my story began in September 2013. Despite only having had all my tests done pre three months previously, I visited my GP with a suspicious lump. But after assuring me she thought it was okay, she suggested I have another mammogram just in case. This also showed clear, but proceeded, the, proceeded to an ultrasound which identified something worthy of a core biopsy far away from the area of my original concern. When the ultrasound was returned, I was diagnosed with a stage two to three lobular breast cancer. This was followed by a lumpectomy, five months of chemo and a month of radiation. Following the surgery, I suffered from cording, a tightening of underarm tendons. The video who recommended to me by my breast cancer nurse also then identified that I was suffering from some lymphedema. I was subsequently fitted with a custom sleeve, which along with regular visio, physio I wore for 18 months. Now I'm always alert to the possibility that it can return. So I carry my sleeve with me on long plane journeys um, always. So my advice to any new lady who would be uh, more recently diagnosed would be to acknowledge that it does rock your world, but work as soon as you can to get a plan because once you have a plan for moving forward, whatever that involves, you should feel more in control and therefore less anxious. And my question for Dr. Deer is, what is your opinion regarding automatic ultrasounds in addition to, to mammograms? For example, I had three mammograms and it never did locate my cancer. Um, just in postscript, I was finally prescribed with Femara by my oncologist and I took this for two years before switching to tamoxifen, which I'm now still taking. Hi there, my name's Belinda. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010 when I was 36 years old. Uh, my journey began when I felt a lump in my breast actually just before Christmas. I remember very vividly, it was a Sunday and I went straight to my local medical center. From there, I was sent for a biopsy, which showed breast cancer. And unfortunately, I received that news on the 23rd of December, not the best Christmas present. Uh, my car was packed with my three children and a ton of Christmas presents to head to Melbourne. Uh, my husband at the time took the older two children and I stayed behind with my baby. And I was lucky enough to get into a breast surgeon the day before Christmas on the 24th of December. I had very little time to think through my options at this point, uh, as my driving force was to get the earliest possible theatre spot, because uh, I really, really wanted the cancer removed. I had a single mastectomy on the 4th of January 2011, and the breast cancer was, was triple negative. At the end of February, I started my chemo, which coincidentally was the day that my daughter started kindergarten. 
I happened also to be tested for the BRCA gene. Whilst I didn't have breast cancer anywhere in my family, I had done a lot of research following my breast cancer. And after much pushing by me, I got tested and it showed that I was a carrier for BRCA. I then went on to have my second breast and ovaries removed and, and I was plunged straight into menopause, which was interesting and not so much fun, but I got through it. And the great news is I've been in remission since my initial diagnosis. So that's 10 years, which is I'm really, really happy about. Mm. So the advice that I would give to anyone newly diagnosed is to be open to the advice given to you by very well-meaning friends, family, maybe, some, maybe a counsellor. Uh, you know, they might say, try this diet, go and see this person, join that support group, Pilates, uh, don't have any dairy. There's so much advice you're given. But with the breath of kindness, blow the advice away that doesn't work for you. Everyone's path is different and only you can decide what is going to be right for you to get through your treatment and your recovery period. So my question for Dr. Deer is, how long after you've had a mastectomy, is it too late or not advised to have a reconstruction? Hello, my name is Melinda and um, I'd like to tell you about my journey uh, with breast cancer. Uh, my journey started October 2006 after returning from an overseas holiday and doing my usual visit to the breast screen clinic um, where I've been going for many years. Uh, at the uh, breast screens on that day, I was told there was something in my scan. Okay, so from then on, had tests and biopsies and was diagnosed with a grade two invasive carcinoma. Um, from there, a visit to the surgeon and discussion of treatment. I wanted to have a mastectomy at this stage, but my surgeon advised that uh, they didn't do this. They were very um, uh, aware that they like to save the breast rather than take the breast. And so he suggested a lumpectomy. I agreed to that and had the operation. And not long after the operation was told that they didn't get all of the margins during the operation and that I would have to have a mastectomy. So waiting for a couple of months until I could get back into hospital and the surgery was available, I had the mastectomy done February 2007. And at the time, I also had plastic surgery because, you know, being diagnosed with breast cancer, um, my mind, my focus, everything just fell apart. I spoke to friends and they suggested that I have uh, perhaps some surgery just to make me feel whole again which I did. So I had um, an implant put into the area where the breast was taken. And I also had a breast reduction on the other side to balance my body. I recovered from this very well, a little bit of infection, but very good. Um, didn't have radiotherapy as I have a um, chronic lung complaint, uh, but I had medical chemo for many years and was really um, in a good place. Then, unfortunately, 2014, my usual visit to breast screen, another tumour was detected in the mammogram. Uh, this time a grade three, and this time I had a mastectomy. 
I didn't have any plastic surgery after I decided no. This was serious. Forget about what it looks like. I'm just going to have the surgery and try and heal myself, which I did. No radiotherapy again, continued on medical chemo. Okay, got through all of that, thought this is great. Many, many years went past um, until 2018. I attended my GP as I had a very swollen left arm. And uh, we all thought it was lymphedema from the removal of the breast. And of course, I, I went to a massage therapist and to get um, her to massage the fluid. She was very concerned and said, no, I think you should go and see your doctor. So I did. Um, the arm was very swollen, very red and quite warm to touch. Uh, my GP was extremely concerned when he saw it, sent me straight away for CT scans. And of course that came back with a very bad result. Um, the CT scan showed lesion in the left lymph gland. That was the area of the arm and also in my lung, left lung. Uh, grade four cancer was diagnosed and well, off to the oncologist. Now I'd never been to an oncologist before. This didn't worry me in the past because my healing was good. I thought I was okay but I was sent to an oncologist because obviously this, is, this was serious, realised this and saw a marvellous oncologist, um, wonderful man. He started me straight away on chemotherapy, really very heavy chemotherapy. Commenced November 2018 and went through to February 2019 until I got so sick I couldn't cope with the chemo. I had scans a few months later and the tumours were gone. I, I was amazed. I thought, no, could this happen? Could I, could I be cured? So that was in February 2019 when I finished the chemo and I'm still in remission, continuing to have scans which show no tumours. Um, so thank goodness I'm through all of that and feeling very healthy. My advice for anyone who's newly diagnosed, um, please, you know, really talk to your family and friends, uh, discuss your journey. Uh, please get a good oncologist. Um, find out exactly what's wrong, or what, what sort of tumour, what grade is it, what can be done about it. Uh, ask the questions, please. I'm sure that everyone will help and everyone will give you advice. Think about it and then start your journey. My question for Dr. Deer is, if I had have known, and of course, you know, I didn't, but if I had have known what I went through over those years, I would have had a double mastectomy. Would Dr. Deer agree with this? Is there any proof nowadays that, you know, taking both breasts is the best uh, choice? And thank you very much for allowing me to speak today. My name is Stephen. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010. My journey began when I noticed issues with bleeding from my left breast. This led 
uh, me to seek uh, diagnosis and investigation and finally from a surgeon and final surgery being uh, DCIS, ducted carcinoma in situ, uh, which followed with a, a left um, mastectomy. My advice to anyone uh, would be to um, be aware of any changes with your body and on the first sign that you, you have any concerns is to seek medical treatment. My question to the doctor is uh, uh, what any changes after the cancer to reappear and for any cancer to uh, present itself elsewhere. As I mentioned earlier, we would be talking to a leading oncologist at St Vincent's Hospital. Dr Rachel Deere has a special interest in breast cancer. Hi Rachel, thanks for coming in. Hi Colina, thank you very much for having me. Uh, look, I've told my story and uh, my question for you is, there any correlation that you know of between leukaemia and breast cancer? And I'll tell you why I asked that, because the day I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was up visiting a leukaemia patient who was having treatment and as we were speaking, she said, two years ago I had breast cancer and now I've got leukaemia and breast cancer was a walk in the park compared to this mm -hmm. and I thought well I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so what are your views? Is there any correlation do you think? Uh, the key piece in that um, is for your leukaemia treatment did you receive as well as chemotherapy radiotherapy? Yes, yes I did. Total body radiation they call it. Okay. So we do know that there is an association between radiotherapy and a long-term risk of developing breast cancer. And so I also have some patients who have been treated for childhood leukaemia or lymphoma who have developed breast cancer um, later in life. Um, so that is something that we um, closely monitor our patients who have had radiation for leukaemia for breast cancer, mm. often screening them from an earlier age. Right. So it's more the treatment rather than the actual disease itself. Disease. Yes, oh, that's it's, good yeah, to know. Yeah. All right, now we have interviewed a number of people and I have some questions for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd like to ask you from a lady called Belinda, how long after you've had a mastectomy is it too late or not advisable to have a reconstruction? I don't think it's ever too late. I think that that is something that is an option not only months but years down the track after a bilateral mastectomy uh, and it is something um, that we really recommend if a woman would like they mm -hmm. explore that option with a plastic surgeon yeah. uh, there are public options available mm -hmm. um, because it can be expensive doing it in the private mm -hmm. hospital setting uh, but there are many good reconstruction options Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay, we've got the next question, which was, is from Mel. And she says, my question for Dr. Deer is, if I knew what I know now, I would have had a double mastectomy when first diagnosed. What's your advice? I spend a lot of my time convincing women not to have prophylactic mastectomies. Mm -hmm because there is no evidence that uh, having preventative mastectomies 
improves your chance of living longer. There's no survival advantage. So although it feels intuitive that if I have no breasts, I can't, my breast cancer can't come back, <laughs> is actually um, unfortunately not true. Yeah. Because even after mastectomies, there can still be some mm. breast mm. tissue remaining. And we're not only looking after a risk of a new primary breast cancer, there's also the risk of a local recurrence in the draining lymph nodes or on the chest wall, but also, mm. unfortunately, there's a, a risk of metastatic breast cancer mm. where the cancer cells can come back elsewhere in the body. Mm. So because even they call it breast cancer only because it appears in the breast, but yeah. it's actually a, a whole body disease whole body potentially. Disease. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So mm. removing the breasts won't eliminate that risk in other places in the body. Right. Um, it does mean that you don't have to have the annual breast imaging if you don't have um, breasts, but um, and some people find that stressful having their annual mammogram and ultrasound. Um, so that can be good, but I, there, there's no survival advantage for having prophylactic mastectomies. So, Mel, I don't think that you should have had that operation. Oh, good. And a question from Helen. I think GPs should look and examine films as my GP did. In the past, my experience has been that they have relied on the conclusion of the report of the X-ray. Had my doctor not been persistent, my outcome could have been quite different. What's your um, opinion? Well, yeah, I agree with Helen. We are taught as medical students to always look at the films ourselves, mm -hmm. not just rely on a radiologist's uh, opinion. Um, so it's always good to look at x-rays, breast ultrasounds, mammograms, CT scans, look at the actual physical images as well as read the report. And if there's any concern, call the reporting radiologists and discuss their findings um, and even go to the radiologist rooms and look at the images together mm -hmm. because that is a really valuable um, experience. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that Helen was lucky to have such a good GP to look at the films mm -hmm. himself or herself. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that we as doctors should all be doing. Now this one is from Elise and she asks, what is one thing you wish every patient would change long term? I think every patient should exercise more. And the reason for that is that exercise, both aerobic and resistance exercise, has a multitude of health benefits as well as it reduces the risk of a recurrence of breast cancer. Mm. So it's a very powerful tool that everyone can do because it doesn't have to be doing 45-minute spin classes in the gym at a million miles an hour. It can be going for a walk for half an hour or 45 minutes five times a week plus some gentle strengthening exercises with a resistance band, not heavy weights, mm -hmm. and just even simple things like that can have very powerful benefits on your physical as well as mental well-being. Mm. So for me, swimming two or three times a week for about 40 minutes in the pool, playing golf one day a week, and tennis. Wonderful. That's that great. <laughs> that variety is amazing. They're okay. all really good aerobic exercises that you're doing. And the only thing, I'm not sure if you do any resistance exercise. Well, I think in the pool it's sort of resistance. You know, when you're pushing, 
the water. water. So I and I run in the pool as well. And sometimes they give you those foam weights to yeah, use, and yeah. they're good resistance in the water. Yeah. But some people need help with resistance exercise because it can seem intimidating. Mm-hmm. And so we do recommend people see an exercise specialist, which mm. is either a physiotherapist or an exercise physiologist. And actually, GPs can provide a chronic disease management plan, and you can get a rebate. Mm. from the physio or exercise physiologist for the exercise program they give you. And and that can get people started yeah, and give them the yeah. confidence then to, say, do it from home if that's where they're more comfortable. Oh, good to know that. My next question is from Rob. And Rob asks, what is your opinion regarding automatic ultrasounds in addition to mammogram? For example, she had three mammograms, never did locate the cancer. So this is a good question and unfortunately there are some breast cancers that evade detection on imaging. Um, This can be for a variety of reasons. For example, a woman may have very dense breast tissue or the nature of the breast cancer itself may make it difficult to detect. However, I still don't think that means that we should automatically be doing screening mammogram and ultrasound because, unfortunately, we look at these things in an overall cost-benefit ratio and the cost to society for doing that extra investigation would probably outweigh its benefit because um, not every woman needs both sets of imaging to detect their breast cancer. So I still think it's standard to start with mammogram and this quality of mammograms has significantly improved over time and is detecting more and more cancers accurately. And then if something abnormal is detected on a mammogram, then you move to an ultrasound. The question I get asked a lot is about breast MRI, which is an even more sensitive way of detecting breast cancer on imaging. But it's not yet become standard to offer that to everyone because, again, it's an expensive test. Um, And although there's no radiation, you have to have contrast called gadolinium injected and that may potentially over time have some potential side effects too. Mm. Um, So that's, again, recommended on a case-by-case basis. So I think at the moment, mammogram is a good start. Yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, And the next question is from Liz. Oh, yes, I see. She had a very good question because back in 2015, she had neoadjuvant chemotherapy and then surgery. Neoadjuvant means that the chemotherapy is given before surgery as opposed to adjuvant chemotherapy that's given after. And she asked, is there... Are there any stats on the relative success or otherwise of neoadjuvant versus post-surgery adjuvant treatment? And there are good statistics about that. In fact, we know that overall survival rates are the same, whether you receive your chemotherapy before or after surgery. But for certain types of breast cancer, we get additional very important information by giving the chemo first. Because if we give the chemo first, when it comes to the operation, we can actually see if the chemo worked. So we can see if there are any breast cancer cells left behind after the three to six months of chemo beforehand. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we take out the cancer first, then give chemo, we can't tell if it's working. And if for certain types of breast cancer, there are no cancer cells left behind after Mm -hmm. neoadjuvant chemotherapy, that, that woman or man has a very good prognosis from their breast cancer. Oh, 
That's interesting, isn't it? But if there are cancer cells left behind, we actually might give that woman additional treatment that she may not have needed otherwise. So we can actually tailor the treatment mm. protocol mm. based on their response to treatment. And Rachel, we've interviewed and spoken to a lot of ladies who are survivors of breast cancer, but we've also interviewed a young man called Stephen and he had breast cancer. Um, and he has a question, and we'll talk about stats of men having cancer in a minute, but my question, he says, what are the chances after all this time for the cancer to reappear or for further cancers to present itself elsewhere? So as he acknowledges in his question, this is a loaded question, um, and it depends a lot on the type of breast cancer he had, but the most common type of breast cancer in men is a hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative breast cancer, mm -hmm. and they're also the most common type of cancers in women. And because they're driven by the estrogen and or progesterone receptor, those cancers actually have a long natural history, and they can recur 30 years after the diagnosis of the original breast cancer. Of course, we reduce that risk by the adjuvant treatment that someone might have, whether mm -hmm. that's chemo or radiation or endocrine therapy, hormone tablets. Um, so the chance of Stephen's breast cancer coming back would depend firstly that it is a hormone receptor positive breast cancer and also the two most important prognostic features of a cancer are how big it was or if there were lymph nodes involved. Mm -hmm. So if the cancer was small, with no lymph glands, it's very unlikely his breast cancer will come back. But I can't say there's no chance. Mm. But, but the chance is low. Yeah, but that's less like than ten, less than five or ten percent chance. But see, that's like all of us. You know, I always say I'm back in the box with everybody else. Yeah. So there's that chance of anybody getting cancer, isn't it? Yeah, and I often don't like telling a woman that there's a long-term risk that a breast cancer can, can come back, and I'm always surprised that most people are okay with that because it is a bit like life we know yes. that anything can happen yeah. at any time and yeah. yes that may include breast cancer coming back but mm. you never know what's around the corner right. do you <laughs> That's right. um, now you know breast cancer we hear a lot about women with breast cancer but what is the statistics with men so breast cancer is really rare in men one in 700 men will get breast cancer in their lifetime so in Australia, that means about 150 men in one year will be diagnosed with breast cancer. So it is a rare disease. It is associated with um, particular risk factors. For example, um, it's more common in men to have a BRCA1 or 2 gene mutation, which is an inherited mutation that increases the risk of getting breast cancer. So it's an important thing in a man who gets breast cancer to test them for that gene mutation. Thank you so much, Rachel, for answering those questions. My pleasure, Kalina. Well, that was a really interesting interview with Rachel Deere. I learned a lot. But now it's time for our podcast and our book reviews. What are your recommendations for this week? Okay. I've got uh, my first podcast is a podcast called Sporkful. Sporkful, not Sporkful. And they say they're not for foodies, they're for eaters. It's very lighthearted. And they have one episode, which is called Mission Impastable, where they have a competition to build the best or funniest shapes of pasta. 
Well, that sounds really deliciously interesting, Carl. My podcast for this week is a true crime podcast, and it's called Case Files. It's actually an Australian podcast, which was started by a, a man who no one knows who he is, actually, but he started it while he was recovering from a sports injury. And it is a fascinating uh, podcast that really delves into both solved and unsolved cases around the world. But the research that goes into it is in depth. So highly recommended. And your book review for the week? My book review is uh, a book called Clara Callan, written by Richard B. Wright. This would have to be my favourite ever book. Uh, the the uh, two people or the two ladies involved are Clara and Nora Callan. They're, they're raised by their father. Um, their mother's a little bit on the odd side and she wanders off to the grave of her firstborn child. So they can't completely dismiss the death as accidental. As they grow up, um, Nora goes to New York and becomes a radio star. Clara stays in uh, Toronto and lives a very ordinary life for a while. But, and they write to each other, and the story is all about the letters that they write to each other. But then Clara gets raped by a couple of vagabonds, falls pregnant, she has to get out of Toronto. Uh, Nora and her lesbian friend who's helping her with the radio, they help her to escape. And, uh, you know, the story goes on. It's a very, very interesting story. Well, I look forward to reading that. My book review this week is called The Book of Longings and it's written by Sue Monk Kidd. The book is set in the first century CE and tells the story of Anna, who's a young rebellious daughter of a wealthy scribe who struggles um, or struggling with the sexist cultural and legal standards of her time. It's a love story with an interesting angle because in the book, Anna is married to Jesus and her adopted brother is Judas. Um, So, Highly recommended. Well, it sounds one for me next, I'd say. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening to episode four. In our next episode, please tune in because we'll be focusing on different types of meditation, how people of differing nationalities and religions meditate, and other ideas to calm the mind and allow the body to heal. My quote for today is, a wise physician said, the best medicine for humans is love. Someone asked, if it doesn't work, he smiled and answered, increase the dose. <laughs>